Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together this morning, yes? Amen. All right. Um, we're just going to stand up. Let's stand up together. Um, let's just begin to prepare our hearts yes. for this service. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're here with your kids, we want to encourage kids to enter into worship. Yes. I mean, from the youngest child, they can be encouraged to participate in worship even if it's just sitting and watching quietly people worship, if it's dancing quietly off to the side or even, you know, wherever they find a spot. But parents, I just encourage you, give your kids boundaries. No, they cannot create a mosh pit up front in the name of Jesus. Just can't do that. So that's a no, but this is a yes. Yeah. This space here is where you can dance. Yeah. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit with the kids and just in general about um, being courteous and what that means um, and, and being courteous to other people, we can still have freedom. We have lots of freedom. We have all freedom. So I just want to encourage you this morning as we enter into worship to encourage your kids to worship, to, to watch. You can take a minute and or lots of minutes. You can talk to them like, look, look how she is entering in. You can see it all over her face, buddy. You can see what's happening there, you know, and look how he does it. He does this. He's doing the same thing. I mean, you can teach them. You can take some minutes to teach them. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to enter into worship this Amen. morning. So this morning as I was praying, I just, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, does it not? And the Lord just told me to read some scriptures on faith before we even get started. And the goal here is to build up our faith before we even get started in the church service to begin to believe, to receive everything that God has for us this morning. So just listen to these. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Jesus turned around and seeing her said, Take courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was restored to health. But to him who does not work but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. It says in the Bible that the just shall live by faith. And if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Just raise your hands and close your eyes this morning. Heavenly Father, we just worship you already. We worship you already. Lord, by faith we believe and receive all that you have for us today. Have your way in this place in this physical place, but more importantly, have your way in this place, in our hearts. And Father, as your word says in Psalm 96, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among the peoples. For great, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. 
He is to be feared above all other gods. Lord, we worship you. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise this morning. And we worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. Thank you, Lord. Guys, we're going to come to the table and take the communion elements. And we do this every week because it says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. The Bible says in John 11, it says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is Jesus talking, not me, come on. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus says, do you believe this? Church, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Well, we're coming to the table this morning because we believe it. His body broken, his blood shed for us. So just a few instructions. There's a two-cup system for those who are new. Just come down these aisles, grab your communion elements. Don't take them. Wait till you get back to your seat, and then I'm going to get back up here. We're going to take them together. And if you're gluten-free, there's some, uh, there's some table or some plates in the middle. You can grab gluten-free. So come up and get your elements. Hold on to them, and we'll be right back up. Do you believe this? Just let that settle for a minute. What we're doing, the importance of it, the importance of what he did for us, the life everlasting available because of what he did. Lord, we do believe. And we receive these elements this morning as a representation of your body, your blood, broken and shed for us. For every sin in the past, every sin for today, every sin for the future. Lord, we thank you that you paved a way for reconciliation through this table for a relationship with God the Father that could be no other way but through you. And Lord, we thank you that you didn't stay in the grave, <laughs> but you rose again for not just life everlasting, but life abundantly in this life as well. No matter the trial, no matter the situation, you're always with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And we thank you for it. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. We had given thanks. He broke it. And he said, Take, eat. This is my body 
which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let us partake. Father, we worship you. We thank you. We give you all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. And we believe this morning. By faith, we believe you are who you are. You are the great I am. You are who you say you are, and you do what you say that you do. And we thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name. Please stand with me. We're going to continue to worship the Lord. The altars are open up here. If you've got any business you want to do with the Lord, come on up, kneel down, stand up, jump up and down, spin around and dance. Whatever it is you need to do today, do it with the Lord. We're going to do something. Sometimes as leaders and as pastors, we shy away from doing things because what the Lord is wanting to do this morning it can create feelings in some people of hurt or of loss, feelings that we rather not handle or deal with. So we're going to do what the Lord put on my heart that we're going to do. And if, if it doesn't apply to you in the here and now, I want you to sit and I want you to just be with Jesus in this moment. And everything that comes up in you, I want you to sit with him in it. Okay? As we're singing, Jesus, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. We're just worshiping him. And I felt the Lord say to me, what if, what if y'all told each other how beautiful you are? What if you all treated each other and vocalized to each other value? The value that each of you has because of who he is. And so I just felt like if you are here with your spouse, you need to go to, you need to be next to your spouse. You can gather your kids around you if you've got kids and you need to look at each other and you need to tell each other, you are the greatest person on this planet and you are the one God gave me. And you are irreplaceable. You are my beautiful one. And I want you all to have that moment because he wants that moment. He wants the words of love to, to dispel all doubt. No, I'm sorry in this moment. Just in his presence, love covers every sin. And as we do, as we take this moment, if you're here and your spouse isn't here, and that is a source of pain if there's separation, I just want you to pray. I just want you to be with him in this moment. I want you to be with him in this moment. 
and talk with him. If you've lost your spouse and there's just grief, there's no better person to share it with than Jesus. And we're doing it. I'm up here. We're doing it because we can't be afraid of the grief and we can't be afraid of the struggle. We can't be afraid of the pain. We can't shove it down. Not here. Okay, I get it. I get it when you got to get the kids to school. I get it when you got to hold it together and get to work. But you don't hold it together here, church, family. You don't hold it together here. This isn't the time and place for keeping it neat and tidy. This is the time and place for snot and tears and words of truth and receiving and weeping and joy and laughter. So we're just going to take a few minutes and we're going to do what the Lord asked us to do. Just love on each other. Tell each other words of truth. Tell each other. Tell each other. And talk to Jesus. It's just so good to be in your presence. So good to be in your presence. Thank you, Father. We'll close out this time of worship this morning. Lord gave me a verse out of Psalm 107. And this probably applies to a lot of us in here. It says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His Word and healed them. He sent His Word this morning. He sends His Word daily, hourly, every second. He sent His Word and healed them. And He delivered them from their destructions. Thank you, Lord, that he delivers us from our destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. So, Lord, we just rejoice in you. We give you all the thanksgiving. All the honor, all the praise goes to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Um, This morning is the morning of family business, right? The Lord just talked about marriages. And I opened up the service uh, talking about kids and the spirit of worship. Makes me super happy to see kids up here just um, at the altar with their parents. Um. So something that's on my heart to share 
is, well, the family room, a lot of you, we had the awesome life group dinner on Friday. It was phenomenal. Uh, 97 people uh, signed up. Uh, you know, 97 people were part of groups uh, and teams. We all came together. And on that night, we opened up the, the family room, which isn't quite done yet, but is really, really close. And we let people go in and see what's, what's uh, happening in there. Um, and the family room is a room that is available to parents and caregivers who have kids in service. And when those kids begin to get outside of the boundaries of courtesy, then there's a place where um, child and caregiver can go, where the child can play, and the caregiver can supervise and listen to the service. The service will always be playing in there um, on Sunday mornings. Um, we're also getting pretty close uh, to launching the nursery. I keep trying to rush it. <laughs> I keep sitting down up in my offices during the week, and I'm, I, I keep trying to kind of plow into what needs done um, as far as training, as far as vision for the room, so far as um, processes. And I keep just getting frustrated. Like, the Lord won't let me rush it. I think it's just too important to rush. Um, and that's frustrating. It's frustrating when something just seems pretty basic, you know, like there's tons of books on how to do this, how you launch a ministry. I mean, and it just seems like pretty basic, but he just won't let me. So it's coming. But that room is going to be um, a room for kids, what, zero to three? Yeah, nursery, up to three years old. And the new layout of the room, um, when it's ready, you know, you'll all be able to go in and see it. But it's set up in a way that it's developmentally appropriate for each age. You know, there's a bookshelf with toys that a one-year-old, you know, would really, it's right with the things that they're learning and the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds. And our goal is to teach them to enjoy where they're at, you know, and to nurture right where they're at and help them to grow. What these two spaces have in common and what they will have in common is boundaries, that's what we're teaching kids from day one, from day one. And actually, okay, I mean, I can only speak from our experience and from our life, but for about two months, what I teach my infants is there's no boundary to what I'll do for you. There's no limit to how much I'll hold you, nurse you, stay awake for you. I require nothing of you than for you to just be in my love and my care, that I will care for you. And right around the eight-week mark, that little baby, I start saying, you're tired, and I got stuff to do, so I'm going to lay you down here, I'm going to tap you, and you're going to learn that it's going to be okay. And I think I set a timer, and I think I let them cry for 45 seconds. After 45 seconds, I come right back in. I'm not a literal 45 seconds. Sometimes I only make it 30 seconds. And I come in, and I tap them and talk to them, and I tell them, I'm not going to pick you up. You don't need me to hold you. I'm right here. And I quiet them down. If, I, if they cry again, I give them another 40 seconds. You know how short that's short. And I come in again. By the time they're three months old, I might give them a minute and a half. You see, I'm slowly teaching them. I'm not going to leave you to scream it out and feel terrified or alone or helpless or any of that. But I am going to slowly wean you into, you know, trusting in my love that it's always here. And that you've got this. 
little two-month-old. You've got this. It's a day of rejoicing when the child learns to suck their thumb. Um, We actually have thumb-sucking lessons in our house. It's not a joke. We take each infant, we wrap them up tight in a swaddle, and Jason is in charge of the thumb-sucking, and he teaches them how to do it. And some people might think that's crazy, but, you know, I don't have any teenagers who are still sucking their thumb, so it works out. And it allows them to feel confident. It's the first thing that they figure out, I can do this on my own. I can help myself. And I love that. Okay, why did I go into all of that? Because boundaries and growing them up gently, but with intentionality, starts at the very beginning for us. It starts at the very beginning. And as a church family, we're going to begin to do that in the nursery. And we're going to do that in the family room in that the boundaries of the family room is that are that children have to be supervised. There will never be a time where children are in there playing by themselves, even Ackerman children, which I'll have to really, because they just have a sense of ownership over the church. They're just like, oh, this is our place. Um, children will be supervised. They'll have to tidy up when they leave. No, they can't take that stuffed animal home with them that they really, really like. They'll have to be told no. Why? Because the boundary of courtesy. That's for other kids to enjoy. So the boundaries of courtesy then apply here. We were talking with Pastor Andy, and he was telling us about a church. He was an usher at a church, and there was a man who just was super caught up in the spirit, and there were people up at the altar, and they were worshiping. And everyone, I mean, it was a, it was a spirit of rejoicing. People were worshiping. Well, but this guy just started spinning. He started spinning and dancing, and he was like a big dude, and he wasn't really staying aware enough. You have to have some level of awareness you know, because you're not the only person in the room. And I mean, he, the ushers, like they had earpieces in, it was like, get that guy, (laughs) you know? And so he had to, with a couple other guys go and they literally, he, the guy wouldn't come to, like he wouldn't open his eyes and acknowledge that people were talking, whatever. They literally had to pick him up and like walk him to the back of the church. And they set him down in another area and said, here, you need to stay in this area and do what you're doing. And I loved that, you know, because sometimes we're hesitant to bring correction because we don't want to, we don't want to put any heavy burdens on people. We don't want to bring condemnation. And that's, that's never the intent ever. But, um, and I love that you just did a series on taking offense, right? Because people can take offense at anything. They, They choose to get angry. They choose. We choose to take offense. But anyway, I don't know if that guy took offense, but I just loved how they didn't come up and scold him. They didn't take him aside and try to school him. They moved him and they said, okay, here's where you can do it. That was school enough. I think that guy probably went home and knew, okay, I got out of bounds. They repositioned me. I don't want that to happen again. Next time I'm feeling caught up, I'm just going to go right to where there's not a lot of people. So he was corrected enough. I'm going into all of this because we're family. The boundaries in the sanctuary during worship are more free than during sermon time right? The boundaries of quiet and courteous. Um, But as parents, we need to give our kids boundaries because that's love. That's growing them up. It's growing them up. So kiddos, if you're in during sermon, well, first of all, parents, don't give your kids all the good stuff at the beginning of church. 10 a.m., don't give them everything in your arsenal and be like, here, be good. Mom will be worshiping. 
you know, they're going to they're gonna plow through that in the 45 minutes of worship time where there's room, there's space for a little bit of more noise, you know. And they're going to plow through all that good stuff. By the time the quiet part of the service comes, they're done for. You know, they've used all of it. So I encourage kids five and up to engage in worship as much as possible, even as young as three and four. Um, I'm doing my best not to call out different parents who it's just like, look at how this person died. I'm not going to do that, although I want to, because we learn by watching other parents. (laughs) I learned so much good things by watching other parents. Um, So that was number one. Don't give them all the good stuff. That's why we hold what we have for them. We hold it. We called it, I started calling it worship bags. Uh And we, before we launched it, we changed it to sermon bags because I said, we're not going to give them bags at the beginning of service. It'll be done for by the time sermon starts. So hold some of the good stuff back. Don't give it all to your kids all at once. Second thing, bring, you can bring new stuff and you can put it in their bags. Those are their bags. And it's special for church. If they're allowed to play with a toy all week, it loses its specialness. It's not going to be special. I know I was talking to one parent and he saves special certain protein bars for church, which uh, good on you, not doing candy because that's honestly counterproductive. <laughs> Says Pastor Liz who handed out Hershey Kisses with the sermon bags <laughs> around Easter. She's like, here you go, have a candy, make sure you're quiet during the sermon. I know, right? Sometimes we do these things. But, um, um, but that was a great idea. The kids know. Another thing is, hey, guys, if you make it through worship and you do a really great job, you know, then you get this thing. And then you know during sermon, you got to stay within the quiet and courteous. Those are the boundaries. Talk to your kids. What does courteous mean? It just means thinking of others, making sure your freedom doesn't impinge upon, you know, other people. Um, So I wanted to share that. I also wanted to share that, parents, if your child struggles to be quiet and struggles to be courteous, that's okay. But you have to know where the boundary is, where it's like, okay, come on, we need to, re- we need to reposition you. Um, that's what the family room is going to be for. Uh, if you don't do it, for whatever reason, you're caught up, okay? If you're caught up, then I, or Pastor Jason, or Pastor Andy, or Sid, or Chet and Jane, we're going to help, you know, we're going to help because we're family. We're going to come over and we're going to be like, honey, you need to tuck it in, okay? And we're going to do it with a lot of love because the love is genuine. If your child struggles with quiet and courteous when they're sitting right next to you, this is just a real basic principle. They're not going to be, they're not going to be successful at it when they're sitting with their friends. There's no way. If my, if my, if one of my kids can't manage and hasn't mastered quiet and courteous next to me, there's no way I'm going to let them go try it with three other kids because you're just setting them up for failure. You're setting them up to just go right outside the boundary. Um, and that just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. So I just want to encourage you. We're here. We're family. Um, we're excited about the nursery. We're excited about the family room. Those spaces are meant to serve. We're excited about kids in the service. We're excited to have kids in worship. We always have been. That's never been in question, at least not for the two of us, right? And we're excited to have kids in the sermon. <laughs> um, we're excited to see kids grow. Um, we're excited to support parents. It's a lot of excitement we got going on. 
Um, but I just wanted to do a little family business, and I want to communicate our love, um, our love and our heart for for church family. I'll close with this. I often imagine Jesus at the Sermon of the Mount, right? If you don't think there was a ton of kids there, you're wrong. It's a ton of kids. You know who else was there? Nursing mothers. You think they had a special nursing mother's tent that they set up like off to the side? No, they did not. I'm pretty sure the nursing mothers were real discreet, but they sat there and they nursed because they weren't part of a hyper-sexualized society. Um, but nursing mothers were there and infants were there and toddlers were there and children, and they didn't have sermon bags. You know, they didn't have Dollar Tree that had all the cute little toys to try to keep them busy. So boundaries in parenting, it's what you do so that you can get what you need as a family, you can grow. And the most important thing is that we grow in Jesus, that we receive from him when we come here. We receive his words of life. We receive his spirit and his presence. And when kids are a, are a part of that 100%. So my goal in setting boundaries for my kids is because I don't want anything to keep them from God's presence. So I say, no, you can't do that because I want to draw them up where they're aware and able to connect in with his presence. That's my expectation. That's my expectation. I don't say no to them. I don't know, just to say no. Um, and I don't let them just do whatever they want because that's not helping them to draw up either. The most important thing as a parent is to teach those kids how to enter in at church and to receive from the Father. Amen. That's what Amen. I have. Good. Okay, so now okay. we're going to Practice. we're going to dismiss. <laughs> we're going to dismiss into our time of greeting. If this is your first time here, welcome to Family Business Sunday. Uh, yeah. We don't do <laughs> we don't do this every week. We don't talk this much about these right. things every week. Um, but this was a week and uh, for it. Um, if you're a first-time guest, on the seat back, there is a connection card, and it's a place for you to let us know that you were here. Uh, you can put as much or as little information as you want, um, but lets us know that you were here. It's also the place for prayer requests, praise reports, testimonies, and those cards go in the offering buckets, which will be up front. Um, tithes and offerings can come up during the break. Um, also, if you are a guest with kids, we have Kid Corner. I will be over in Kid Corner. We have guest bags specifically for your kids. Um, they're the white bags on the wall, and I'll, I'll talk with you and, um, and give you all the things we have to help kids enjoy the rest of the service. If you're an ECF kid, you know the drill. If you're an ECF kid, you know where your bag is. And if you're an ECF kid, just know, you know the expectation now. Ruby, Bells, look at me. You know the expectation, right? Quiet and courteous. Those are the boundaries, okay? Quiet and courteous. Good girls. All right, let's uh, let's just love one another, encourage one another for yeah. exactly eight minutes, and then eight we'll be minutes, back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, church. Go ahead and find your seats. We've got. We sort of did most of the announcements already. Uh, hey, Jai. Could you give me that little sheet of paper right there and bring it up to me? Yep, bring that to me, bud. Got helpers today. Thank you. Uh, so I know we already did a lot of the announcements, did some church family business. I've got some things to talk about that are a little church family business as well, uh, but I think it all will be relevant uh, to each of you. So we've got two announcements this morning. Uh, one, our young adult group uh, will be meeting this coming Tuesday. Uh, they always meet on the second and the fourth Tuesday of each month. 
uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. They're doing this study on Esther, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, and they meet up at the Rose Center, which is the white building up there. So the young adult groups, have, they have a great time. So it's ages 18 to 28. If you're not in that age range, age range you can get there by invite. So if you really want to go to that study, just find a young adult and be like, hey, you know, why don't you invite me to that study? So you can always do that. Then the second thing I want to share with you guys is on your seats, there's a seat drop. looks like this. It's for Operation Christmas Child. We are just about there. Uh, we've got one more event to get us over the finish line. Uh, we've committed to 300 boxes to send out all across the world. They go. We actually find out afterwards where they went, and we'll share that with you. We do 150 boxes for young boys, 150 boxes for young girls, and all kinds of phenomenal things are in there. We collect the stuff all year, and then we do packing parties to get them ready. So this Wednesday night from 5 to 7 in the church youth room, which is downstairs in the basement of that main building over there, we're packing the last 150 boxes. So if you're interested in joining, kids are welcome to come as well. Just come. they got a great process set up. We pack those 150 boxes. And then next week, we're going to actually have them on display out here somewhere in the lobby uh, just to show everybody, you know, the great work. And then they get shipped out, I believe, I think on the 16th or the 17th of November. So this Wednesday is the packing party. Next Sunday, you'll see uh, the 300 boxes in the lobby getting ready to go. Uh, and then we'll pray over those and get those shipped out. So we're excited about that. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's taking the gospel out. You guys know that, right? We've talked about that quite a bit. It's not just a great toothbrush, a pair of socks, a, a nice ball, you know, something for them to play with. Along with that goes the gospel message, which is the main reason why we do that, is to get the gospel spread all throughout the world, which is really exciting. And then the last thing I have uh, before we pray over our tithes and offerings is one person noticed... Did anybody else notice anything to my left? Come on, raise your hand if you noticed. Yes, another block of our debt chart has come down. Hallelujah. Each one of those blocks is $25,000 of debt reduction. So we got to take another block off this past week. Uh, Uncle Don got up there on the ladder and did his thing and pulled that down. But let me just share this with you. Two years ago, was when the Lord told us to just get focused on paying off this debt. Two years ago. The mortgage payoff two years ago was $1,262,000. Today, $1,073,000. Come on, church. Give. I mean, that is, a, I, I did you know, start doing some of that. That's well over $100,000 that the mortgage has come. Actually, it's almost two hundred grand that the mortgage has come down. So we are super excited about that. We're praying and believing to be debt-free uh, as a church. Uh, and because we know, that started doing this vision series, there's no a lot of things that God wants to go do with those funds as opposed to sending them to Northwest Savings Bank. Okay? Look, I... I, my buddy is that North, he's the president of Northwest Savings Bank. I really like him. I do. I really like him. I always tell him when I see him, I said, Matt, nothing against you, my friend, but I want to pay off that debt as soon as possible because I don't want you making money off my interest. I want to be able to take that money and build the things in the kids' center and the things that we want to go do and the things that we see of reaching more people with the gospel message. Amen? So that's what we're looking forward to. So my scripture this morning is out of Acts chapter 2, 
Starting in verse 44, it says, Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as any one had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It's a picture of the church gathering, coming together, sharing, breaking bread together, fellowshipping together, praying together, giving of themselves, giving of their tithes and offerings to see things like this happen, to see, like, I mean, the family room wasn't free, you know? (laughs) You know, the nursery, all the stuff we're redoing, it wasn't free. It just didn't show up. Money needs to be invested into the kingdom of God, and you guys are doing that. We're doing that as a church family, and I just want to make sure you guys understand it. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, because we really believe what God is doing and what God has in store is really to reach more and more of the lost and the broken, and so we're looking forward to, to, to that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for every gift, for every giver, Lord, we thank you for these tithes, these offerings. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that there are many that are giving above and beyond to see this debt paid off. And so, Father, I just pray a special blessing on every one of those dollars as well, that you will supernaturally multiply them, every dollar given, supernaturally multiply it to do the work that you have intended for that money to go do. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you help us by your Holy Spirit to be good stewards in our home finances and in the church finances. And Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. In your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Thank you, Chet. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are doing in the midst of a vision series. And I shared last week, I really got into uh, some of the stuff I believe that the Lord is revealing to us and how we're moving forward on certain things with vision. But here's what I want to share with you this morning. And we're going to get in a little bit about the leadership structure of the church. I promise that. I'm not going to spend, I'll spend a little bit of time on it because it's going to, it'll apply to what we're talking about here this morning. But the church, our church, which is not the building that you're sitting in. Let me say it again. The church, our church, is not the building that we're sitting in. It's the people that are sitting in it. And I think it's a distinction we have to understand because the church must represent love to this world. We must represent love to this world. Now, Pastor Liz pours her heart into the spaces of this church because, in fact, that actually shows love to those who are coming in. I mean, if you came into a messy place and a nursery that was disheveled and broken toys, you'd be like, does this place even care about me? So there's pieces of that where it is, you know, related to this. But we, the people, are the church. We are the ones who show love out, not our building, but we are the ones who show that. And if God is love... If God is love, and Jesus showed that the greatest love is to lay down one's life for us, then should not the church, the people of the church, 
be one of the greatest representations of love in this world. It's what we're called to do. And we get confused sometimes with all these callings and these things. What exactly does the Lord want me to go do? And what profession is it exactly that I'm supposed to go do? And I need to understand that to get into my call. The calling is for us to be God's representation in this world. It is to love others. It is to show love. It is to worship him. That is each and every one of our callings. And it's the mission of our church is to be love in this community. And so 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read through the, actually we're going to read through the whole chapter. You can follow along with me in your Bible. This is the love chapter. Come on church, this is the love chapter. And you had no idea we were going to be talking about love this morning when you had husband and wife stare deeply into each other's eyes and say nice things, which was wonderful. It wasn't your idea, right? It was God's idea, because God knew what was going to be talked about. And I want to point something out in this love chapter that, as I read it, I never realized before. Again, this might be one of those things where you all be like, Pastor Jason, where have you been? I've understood this from the beginning of time, ever since I started reading this, but I never got it. Here, here's what I want to read. And as we're reading through this, I just want you to be reflective on your own life. This is not for condemnation to make you feel bad, but I want us, each of us, if we are to be love, then should we not kind of measure ourselves on how are we doing on loving others? You can't say, you know, I want to be love to this world and then never take a step back and say, how am I actually doing on this? I want to love my wife really well, but if I never reflect on how I'm actually doing that, then what good is it? And so I want us to all kind of be a little self-reflective as we read through this, and then I'll show how this kind of applies to the church. But here's, and I'm going to point something out as we read this through. Here we go. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I, key word here, have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So all these great words... All this singing and praying and these tongues of angels. It says, but if you have not love, it says, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I. Actually, when we are able to understand how to love others, it actually benefits us. And I've read this so many times and I've never realized, and watch as we go through this, it's all about how when we love someone else, it actually benefits us. When you sing and you have prophecy over some of tongues of men and angels, it actually blesses somebody else, but you don't get the blessing if you do it without love. The other person got blessed, but you didn't receive the blessing. It's like only half of the deal happened. You gave, but you didn't do it in love, and so you actually have no effect. That other person still re received it. And watch this, it keeps going. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, like, yeah, hallelujah, I would love to be able to understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could even remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Oh. 
So you can have faith, you can prophesy, you can have all these mysteries and knowledge and reveal those to people, and you are actually helping someone else, but at the end of the day, you get no benefit from it. And what the Lord is saying is that when we learn to love, we don't actually just help the other person, it actually begins to understand to help and bless us as well. I've always read this chapter as just like, you know, well, if I'm not doing it with the right attitude, then it doesn't have any impact. There are many people that can have impact on your life, but they're not doing it out of love. It's them that actually don't get the blessing of it. You see that. Chapter, or verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, generous, and though I give my body to be burned, you're a martyr, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I've never seen this before. It profits me nothing. So you can bless others. You can bless someone who is poor. You can bless a homeless person. You can give and you can give and you can give. And that's great. You're actually helping somebody else. Nobody would debate that. Yes, thank you. That was helpful. But it profits you nothing. And so when we look at what love is, we have to understand it's not just doing something to somebody else. It actually has an effect on us as well. And I just was, this was like a revelation to me. All of these wonderful things. All these great gifts. So what does this look like? And let me tell you, love is not the same as liking. I could do a whole message on, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into the difference between loving someone and liking someone. Because they are different. But here, verse 4. So here are the measures of love. These are the things that we, that actually end up blessing us. You guys get this. Before I read them, there's 15 of them. So you want to give yourself a scale. How am I doing on the scale of one to, I know it's usually one to 10, but the scripture has 15 in here. And so you have to kind of measure, like, how am I doing on these things? And it's not just for someone else. It actually has an effect on you. And when I read these, I want you to think of it in two ways. One How am I doing it in respect to someone else? But then two, how am I doing that in respect to me? Because too often I hear too many stories of people who are struggling to actually love and care for themselves. And so many people are really good at showing love and caring for others, and they beat themselves up internally, day in and day out. And so this ability to love applies not just to others, but it applies to ourselves as well. It says this, love suffers long and is kind. So number one, love suffers long and is kind. Suffers long. Loving is not liking. Loving actually requires some suffering. How about the greatest love of all time? You think Jesus suffered a little bit? For you and for me, he suffered a lot. And he experienced, the Bible said, everything that you and I experience. Everything. He experienced it in some way, shape, or form. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, 
thinks no evil. How are we doing? How are you doing at yourself looking in your mirror and treating yourself? How are you treating yourself? Do you think, I mean, I know I do it a lot of times. I beat myself up for certain things. I think poorly of myself. That's not how God sees me. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears, verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, and endures in all things. There's 15 things between verse 4 and the end of verse 7 that I want you to meditate on just this week. Just read that over and over. If you read no other scripture this week, and if you're doing a Bible reading plan, which I am, and I'm like, we're in November, baby. I'm almost there. I'm getting this thing done by the end of the year. I'm on track. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm going to keep doing that. But if you're not doing that, I would just encourage you to read this chapter every single day this week. It's only 13 verses. And when you get to verse 4 through verse 7, I want you to stop and I just want you to reflect. One, see it how God sees you, his love for you. See it how are you receiving love for yourself? How are you treating yourself this day? And remind yourself to treat yourself with kindness, with patience. Be long-suffering with yourself periodically. I think we beat ourselves up too much because we're trying to be too perfect. God doesn't call us to be perfect. It's not possible. And then how are we doing in regards to others, in our marriages, in our, with our kids? Now, now that I say this, I'm going to be reminded all week, I have to do it. And so my kids will always hold me accountable to these things. So kids, listen, Dad's going to read this every day this week, on what love is. And then they actually begin to hold me accountable sometimes. Like, hey, Dad, that wasn't very kind when you said that. <laughs> you know, they haven't pulled out the, Dad, you're not suffering long enough. As I'm explaining, or asking you the 1,000th question in the past 10 minutes. <laughs> Verse 8 says this, but love never fails. Love never fails. That deposit of love that you make to yourself and to others, it never fails. Because God never fails and God is love. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When Jesus ultimately returns, a lot of this stuff doesn't end up mattering anymore. But until he... Till he returns, as he tarries, we have to learn how to love each other and ourselves. Down to verse 13, just skip down to verse 13. It says, now abide. And now abide. What does abide mean? To soak in that presence, to be there, to be connected. Abide in faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is the greatest of these love? I think hope is for the future. Faith is we're standing on something, on the word of God and believing in something. But love is such a practical thing for today. I mean, faith is too, don't get me wrong. But the greatest of these is love because God is love. 
And what Jesus did was love. And he's showing us how to do that. So what does all this mean for the vision of the church? Why are we talking about this? So that's your homework. You've got homework to do uh, this week. Read the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, each week. And just do a little self-reflective on how I'm doing uh, in these, with this actual love and what does it look like. What does it have to do with vision? I believe this church is a people of faith. This church is a people of hope. And this church is a people of love. Do you want to pull that vision slide up for me? I'm not going to go through this again this week, but we talked about some of these details last week and what this looks like. We truly believe, we truly see a million souls coming to Jesus Christ in all of northwest Pennsylvania. And it's happening through all of these things that we're showing on this chart. It's through partnership, it's through prayer, it's through participation. We see the lost being saved. We see the sick being healed. We see lives being transformed through small groups. We talked about that through life groups last week. The Lord gave a vision of 100 by 20, which is 100 thriving life groups of 20 people each. How is that going to work? How is it all going to pan out? I don't exactly know. I don't have to know all the details. But God is moving and he's working and he wants to see people connected and families connected. And we want to see families thriving. You know, one of the things we're doing next weekend, uh, we are out of town and Pastor Andy is going to be sharing uh, his testimony so you guys get to know him better and I'm going to share why he's going to do that here in a minute. But next weekend, we, Liz and I, are going with four other couples away to a marriage retreat. Yeah, we're hosting it. So we're, we're hosting this marriage retreat at a bed and breakfast in New York. And the reason we're doing that is because we've noticed that if young families with young kids that are married between the ages of like five years of marriage to about 12 years of marriage and have young kids, the rate in which those marriages fail is astronomical in that time frame. And we know as the pastors of this church that we need to be pouring our hearts and our lives in with their lives. Because we want to see families thriving. And we understand the difficulties it is. So we're getting away with a couple other couples. No kids. Nope, no kids. We're going to enjoy some hiking, some dinners together, some games together. We're going to study the word of God together. But these are the things that this church is doing and will do even more of to see families thriving. So back to love. What does all this mean? I've talked about a leadership structure change in the church on how we actually have structured this organization. It's been on my heart for almost three years. And the Lord has just really, through a mentor of, of ours, Pastor Jack Robleski, which you've met, he told me to be patient. He said, hold on. Don't do that too quickly. And so, if for those who know, I'm going to spend just a minute on this. There are three types of church government. This is kind of the teaching session. I think uh, Paul, Brother Paul calls me a, a treacher, <laughs> which has preaching and teaching all mixed together. So I did a little preaching earlier about love, so here's the, here's the teaching part of it. There are three main government structures that a church has. There's congregational, there's hierarchy, and there's an elder structure. Now there's fancy terms for that, but I'm not going to bore you with those because you'll probably forget them. 
A congregational structure is in the sense that the congregation votes basically on everything. Now, these are they, each one that does this structure, they have biblical you know, reasons why they do it, so I'm not discounting any of them. There's a hierarchical structure, which basically says there's one person in charge. Ultimately, through every church, every deno- you know, the whole denomination as it goes all the way up, I, maybe the Catholic Church is probably a pretty good representation of that to understand it. And then the Bible also clearly lays out an elder-led church where it's led by local elders in the church who are part of the local community that have, I I wouldn't call it uh, responsibility to, but oversight from an apostolic organization. So why is this important? I'm going to show you a chart to explain this here in a minute. Why is it important? I believe... And there are studies in books, and, and, and I've read this book. If you're interested in learning more about that, we can talk about it offline, because this is like a little bit of church family business. The structure of the leadership in an organization defines the culture of the organization. It defines the culture of an organization. If you have a corporate-type structure with organizations and hierarchy, it actually defines the culture in which you're in. If you had a congregation led where you guys had to vote on everything, including the color of this carpet, that would, that would create a culture in our church, in my opinion, of positioning and powering and opinions and all the other stuff, which I don't believe is healthy for us. But an elder-led church is the most representative of a family-led church that you can find in the Bible. And I believe I tie this back to love because a family is love. And a family operates in love. I believe that an elder-led church focuses less on power and politics and more on family and reproduction. Families reproduce. We want this church to be reproducing. We We can't reach a million souls by never planting another church anywhere. We have to be part of that as we plant other churches and help plant other churches and send people out to plant churches and to see groups all over this county and all over northwestern Pennsylvania. That's how we reach the lost. That's how we disciple. It's not just on Sunday mornings. We have to begin to do those things. And I believe the best way to do it is through an elder-led structure. You say, how is this different from the old church structure that was here previous? Honestly, as and Pastor Jim and Pam, as founding pastors, they had a certain structure that worked, that actually does work better when you're in the beginning stages of a founding a church. But now I believe that our church is 30 years old, that it's time that we go to a different structure of leadership. So Grace, pull this chart up. I want to talk through this. Can you guys see that okay? Oh, 25 font. It's the best I could do on the slide and not make it too many words. So just bear with me. I want to talk about this a little bit. So what does this mean? What does this look like? So the box on the top, it says, this is the eldership structure of Erie Christian Fellowship Church. The elders that are in that box, and we're going to be uh, ordaining uh, Andy as an elder in two weeks. He's going to share his testimony uh, next week while we're out of town. But the elders have the day-to-day leadership of the church family. The day-to-day leadership. So the three names in there, we have collectively the day-to-day leadership of this church. We are responsible before God for the leadership of this church. You see a little asterisk next to my name? It's not because I put the chart together. 
In an elder-led structured church, there's something called a lead elder or a first among equals. In this case for us, that's me. I am the first among equals. I don't even like that term. Lead elder, I don't even love that term. I'm Pastor Jason, that's fine. You don't have to call me elder, please. This is not about a title, it's about a responsibility that we have for this organization. And so in that box you can see some of the five-fold ministry that flows through the elders. And if you, I think the best thing to do is to follow the arrows. Follow the arrows. And here's what I mean. We have on the left-hand side, you can see what we call advocate advisors. Externally is the apostolic oversight for our church. They have spiritual prayer and mentorship over our church. And that's one focused network. We've talked about that. We had Pastor Jack here. You guys have got to see him. We've talked about One Focus Network. And then there's internal, which I think is as important as external. You need external input. And then internal input comes from Pastor Jim and Pastor Pam, the founding pastors, and Paul Luciano. These are the internal advocate advisors. The arrows, their job, their responsibility is to flow encouragement into us the elders. And then the elders in turn flow our encouragement, our pouring out to the ministries of the church. And I put underneath there some of the ministries that we kind of have primary responsibility for underneath our names. It's not a straight line. It's not like there's a box around it and I don't ever talk to Sydney about worship because she knows that I do. So it's not like it's a straight line. But what that is saying is that the three of us own the protection the direction, and the correction of this local church body. We're responsible before God for that. And collectively, the three of us have responsibility for that. You say, why only three? Well, there's no reason it has to be three, but the size of our church, three is perfectly fine. As the church grows, we will have additional elders that would become on as there's no, but there's responsibilities for elders, there's qualification for elders, there's a relationship that has to happen between the elders, there's a lot that goes into it. In fact, the Bible says, don't be quick on laying hands on anyone. Don't be quick to lay hands on anyone. So two weeks from now, we're laying hands on Andy and bringing him on as a pastor of our church, as an associate pastor and as an elder of our church. But we are not quick or hasty to lay hands. We have been in relationship for years. Strong relationship with him. Then the arrows then flow down into, we're going to begin, and, and we don't have anything ready to launch now between deacons, and then there's leaders of groups. There's all this stuff that begin to happen over the course of time. But into the ministries and into the flock, so the arrows come through us, and we pour our lives into the flock, into the ministries, and then what everyone else's responsibility is, look where those arrows go. Into the community. Into the places where you work. And so I'll, I'll, I don't know if we'll put this up on the website or something like that so you guys can see it or even look at it more closely. But I wanted you guys to understand this is the leadership structure of Erie Christian Fellowship Church moving forward. It has a biblical basis. There's a lot of health to it. There's a lot of reasons why we believe it's important. Two weeks from now, I'll, I'll kind of walk through some of the biblical guidelines as we bring Andy on board, but if you can find those in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, and the list is actually quite long. 
And I will tell you that nobody, whoever probably ever walked the earth, is perfect at all of those things that are listed there. Including me. Yeah. You all know that already. And so it's important that we understand and we note that it's not about finding perfect people. But here's what I tell you is this structure, the goal of it is reproduction. The goal of it is reproduction. The goal is not hierarchy. The goal is not to have more levels of organization. It's not to be more of a corporate structure. It's to be a family. And families replicate themselves. And that's the goal of this eldership structure. And actually, of all the different church government structures, this one ties, I believe, most closely back to love. Which is why I opened up with 1 Corinthians 13. Sid, you want to come up? So two weeks, we're going to bring Andy on board as associate pastor. And let me tell you this, you don't, as we grow the, the elder board or the eldership structure, the eldership leadership, it doesn't mean you have to be on staff. It doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. It's not like a requirement, but in this case, it happens to be that we're going to bring Andy on board also as associate pastor. Because if anybody I've ever met, love is probably the number one word that comes to my mind when I look at you. I'm honored to be a part of that chart with you and with you. Because we love you guys. And many of you don't know the effort and the life that we're pouring out behind the scenes, and that's okay. You don't need to. But this church is going to represent love. It has, it is, and it always will. Represent love to each other, to this community, to our families. I didn't think I was going to get, I thought I was going to get emotional two weeks from now when we're actually praying for them. bow your heads with me this morning. Father, Lord, we thank you that you are love. That you show us how to love. That you demonstrated love by sending your son, that Jesus demonstrated love by laying down his life, and that you gave us the Holy Spirit to help us, to lead us, and to guide us into showing love to ourselves, to others, Father, we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for this church. Lord, we thank you for the years of sacrifice and commitment that have already laid a foundation for what you're doing moving forward. 
Father, I thank you that we are in a season now of go, of moving forward and go. That the words that you said over this church of death to life, of marked by miracles, of all of Erie saved, Lord, that we will begin to see the fruit of those things manifest in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs, and in our church. And Lord, I just pray a special blessing over this church today. That we would be representations of your love to this world. That as we read 1 Corinthians this week and meditate on it, that we would see your love for us in it. That we would see love for our spouses and for our kids in it. And Father, I thank you for all these things. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Guys, we have some prayer teams that are going to come up here. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, or maybe you've walked far from him, and you haven't been living a life that says, you know what, I just want to turn my heart back to Jesus, today is the day to do it. Don't wait another day, don't wait another hour. Today is the day to do it. The teams that are up here will pray for you. They will minister to you. If you need prayer for healing, in fact, if you have a hip pain, any type of hip pain, I would encourage you to come up here and get prayer because I feel like the Lord told me this morning, someone is going to have a healing from hip pain. Didn't say left or right hip, so guess what? Either hip's available for healing this morning. Either one, left or right. So if that's you, come up here. They will lay hands on you. They will pray with you. And if you just need prayer or encouragement or anything else, come on up here and they will pray with you. But I'm going to send you off with this, with this benediction. It's out of Romans 8. I've not used this one before. It says this, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful time in your presence. Father, I just speak encouragement to each and every one of us as we go forward. Lord, we are moving forward. Lord, we are moving forward as a church As a people, we are moving forward. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. In your precious name we pray, amen and amen. You guys are dismissed, and I didn't even hold my football today.